Welcome to More Than 7 Dirty Words, the official FCC podcast. I'm Evan Schwarzstrauber. Over the past couple decades, the U.S. has made tremendous strides in connecting Americans to high-speed broadband. But hurdles remain. There are challenges, both in terms of our population density and economics, particularly in serving rural areas. The FCC's number one mission is to close the digital divide. And what do we mean by digital divide? Well, there are 24 million Americans that still lack access to high-speed broadband. The FCC defines that as at least 25 megabits per second down, 3 megabits per second up. Now, while that only includes 2% of urban residents who are on the wrong side of the digital divide, that number skyrockets to 30% when we're talking about rural America. There are many efforts underway across various different agencies uh, at the U.S. government, But recently, the FCC conducted an auction called Connect America Fund Phase 2, and that's what we're going to discuss on today's show. Joining me is Chelsea Fallon, director of the FCC's Rural Broadband Auctions Task Force. Chelsea, thanks for joining. Thank you. Happy to be here. So uh, before we jump into the auction, uh, I'm always curious to ask uh, FCC folks how they ended up uh, in the jobs that they're in. It's not exactly the most obvious uh, career path, but uh, we all find our way here. So uh, how'd you get here? Well, I've been at the FCC for almost 20 years. I first started work out of college at a law firm that specialized in telecommunications. And my first position at the FCC was actually in the auctions division of the Wireless Bureau. And I spent about 13 years in the Wireless Bureau working on spectrum auctions and mobile competition issues and then moved to the Wireline Bureau, where I got some experience working on universal service and broadband issues, and also some IT uh, development experience working on data collections. And then in April of 2017, the commission decided to form this task force to focus on uh, auctions for universal service funding. All right. So you've been around the block and you've gotten some experience in various different uh, parts of the agency. Now, universal service, you know, this this is an old concept that comes from the, you know, monopoly telephone era. But since 2011, the program was expanded to include universal service funding for broadband. And where does this $10 billion, billion a year fund come from? It's uh, thanks to you, listeners, uh, for the phones that are paid on your phone bill. So thank you all very much for your contributions. Um, But Chelsea, the Universal Service Fund is a $10 billion fund, and this program that we're talking about today is a slice of that. Can you briefly describe, you know, the program writ large and how many different areas it covers and different things that it tackles in the United States? Sure, I will try to sum that up uh, (laughs) in a few sentences. Basically, Universal Service is a program overseen by the FCC based on the principle that all Americans should have access to communication services. And as you said, that now extends to broadband. And there are basically four different programs within Universal Service, uh, each with a different focus. One focuses on uh, access for rural health care, communication services. One is on schools and libraries. One is on the Lifeline program for low-income individuals. The Connect America Fund is one part of the the fourth bucket, which is often referred to as high cost, and that is funding that goes directly to providers to build networks in rural and remote areas of the country that are costly to serve and likely would not be served without 
without this form of support. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the population density and economic challenges of deploying broadband, they're quite different. You know, here in Washington, D.C., you can, you know, trench a mile of fiber and you're covering lots of people. There are parts of America where there's only one mile per person. Uh, so obviously those are going to be two very different costs. And um, so how did this Connect America fund phase two come about? So back in 2011, the FCC issued a major decision. Uh, we call that the USF transformation order. And one part of that was offering funding to legacy landline phone providers, the larger providers that we think of. We often call them price cap carriers. And these are companies like AT&T, Verizon, CenturyLink, sort of the former um, big Ma Bell companies. Yeah, the companies and that kind of broke off when the monopoly was broken up. Exactly. Yeah. So it, um, the, the commission offered them funding on a state-by-state basis to serve the areas um, in those states that were deemed to be high cost and determined an area to be high cost based on a, a cost model. Uh, the, the commission worked with uh, an outside party to develop this cost model. And they're essentially just trying to estimate what it would cost to provide service in these areas, right? Yes, basically. And so then it offered this amount of money for to, to the providers to serve the high-cost areas of the territory on a state-by-state basis, and the provider could either um, accept the money for that state and build out to those areas, or it could decline the offer for that support. The states where these these larger price cap carriers turn down that offer su- for support based on the model, those areas then became eligible for this, uh, the CAF2 auction. Right. So um, rather than just say, all right, guys, I guess you're not getting service, um, the FCC decided to try something else. So, um, you know, that money was offered for fiber, right? And we traditionally think of fiber as very good, but also can be expensive in some low density areas. So is the biggest difference between CAF2, as we call it, and this older model in 2011 is that the FCC opened it up to other technologies besides fiber or combinations of technologies, essentially taking a tech-neutral approach, basically as long as you can provide the broadband service at the standard that the FCC requires, you can deliver it however you want? Basically, I think so. There were were several differences, and one is that this funding is now a became available to a a wider range of broadband providers. So So, not just those former, you know, Ma Bell companies and those independent, uh, or sorry, those incumbent telephone providers. Essentially, the FCC opened it up to lots of different companies like satellite, fixed wireless, cable, et cetera. Right. So, yeah, a variety of different companies applied to participate in the auction, and they could use a variety of technologies just to meet the, the different um, service benchmarks associated with receiving support. And for those areas that became eligible because funding was declined in 2011, I understand that they stretch out over 48 different states. Yes. So looking at the, the total areas that were eligible for the auction, it was um, close to a million locations in, uh, in sort of very small geographic areas called, called census blocks. 
And but taken all together, those blocks um, included about 974,000 uh, locations, basically homes and small businesses that are lacking broadband. The commission also relied on data that it collects through its Form 477 broadband data collection program to ensure that those um, blocks were not being served by by another provider. Yeah, so that's an important aspect of this program is that it's going to areas that truly do not have any service. It's not funding a competitive service where there's a provider already there. Right, that is the, that is the idea, that it, it lacks service that um, at least is below, you know, below 10-1. And a lot of commissioners, when discussing this auction, noted that it was a first of its kind. And the FCC's done a lot of auctions. The FCC auctions off FM translators. It auction, auctions off Spectrum for cell phone coverage. And it's been doing auctions for a while, ever since it started doing auctions, um, after the old beauty contests from way back in the day. Um, but what's interesting about this is when we say reverse auction, is is this the first time the FCC ever used an auction to give out funds as opposed to taking in funds? So this actually isn't the first time the commission has used a reverse auction, but it, it is the first time it has used a reverse auction for fixed um, broadband service. And essentially the idea is that rather than bidding up, which is what the FCC normally does, I guess, when it's... Um, selling spectrum or selling, you know, broadcast licenses or bidding down. So that means that the FCC had to decide where to start. So how did we decide $2 billion would be the starting point for the auction? Right. So the, the commission um, established a, a budget for, of $2 million. Um, $2 billion with a B, right? $2 billion <laughs> over 10 years um, and established that as, as the amount of money it was willing to offer um, to serve these areas in the auction. However, each of the areas that was uh, available in the auction had its own starting price associated with it. We call that the reserve price. And um, folks out there may have heard this term when um, using eBay, bidding in eBay. Um, Essentially, the lowest price that a seller is willing to accept. Exactly, exactly. So sometimes, you know, a seller will say, well, I'm only willing to sell this if, if, I'm, if I right. can get X amount of dollars At for least it. that. But in this case, the FCC is kind of turning that around and saying, this is the most we're willing to spend on this area. Exactly. And so the, the reserve price, in a sense, is, it kind of serves as an opening price. And so if you, if you took the, the, and the reserve prices were based on that cost model that we talked about earlier. And so if you added up the, the reserve prices of all of the areas that were eligible for support in the auction, that added up to just over $6 billion. And so then the budget is $2 billion. That's quite a difference. Right. And so <laughs> the, the commission felt like the most efficient way to decide which areas would be served and by whom and for how much would be to use the auction mechanism. So you start for each area, you're using that 2011 number, and then essentially allowing providers to bid down. And in theory, and I guess in practice, because not everyone is going to use the most expensive technology fiber to the home to deploy, you're going to end up with some numbers that are lower than those uh, reserve prices. Now, this is an auction. We didn't know how it was going to go. What was that like for the team? You know, going into this, you're saying, okay, we're starting at $2 billion. We don't know how much is going to end up 
being funded. We don't know what areas are going to get served. I mean, was that worrisome at all? Or were you guys <laughs> pretty confident that it was going to work out well? Well, we we did not know what to expect going into it. Um, there were a large number of participants, um, so we felt like that you know that was a good sign. We had um, 220 applicants were qualified to participate in the auction. That's pretty remarkable because often you know telecom policy focuses on extremely large companies, but. You know, it's important to remember that there are a lot of you know mom and pop ISPs out there. There are small providers all over the country, particularly in rural areas. So some of these you probably haven't heard of unless you live there. Right. There's a whole range of of companies um, in the um, in the applicant pool and ultimately in the winning bidder pool. So wireless internet service providers, which are often smaller companies serving smaller rural areas, rural electric co-ops that are using you know, leveraging their electric company infrastructure to provide broadband service, uh, cable companies, satellite companies, as well as um, some of your more traditional telephone company, you know, local exchange carrier type companies. Yeah, it was all of the above. So now for the fun part, everyone probably wants to know how their state was impacted, and we're not going to have time to go through all 50, but what were the results? You know, what were the big top line numbers that people should know about? You know, the auction was concluded recently, and uh, what happened? There were 103 uh, winning bidders out of that. I mentioned that there were 220 qualified applicants, and 100, sorry, 1.5 billion dollars um, in support was awarded. And so that's it went 500 million dollars below the reserve price, essentially. Exactly. So there. The way the auction worked, the the bidders had to kind of compete for the budget, not just um, compete for the same area. So the the prices had to to come down low enough so that we got to that that budget number, $1.98 billion. Right. And then that's what was basically saying the budget cleared, and then areas could could begin to be assigned to the winning bidders. But then – um, in certain areas of the country, there bidders were competing to be able to get support for the same area. And so that intra-area competition kind of brought the, the amounts down further from that $1.98 billion down to about $1.49 billion. And out of the you know million or so homes and small businesses that you said were eligible, um, how many are looking at potentially getting service out of this? Right. So about a little over 700,000 homes and small businesses are included in the areas that got winning bids. And I think the, the most notable point is the, the speeds that the winning bidders have committed to offer. Um, there were four different speed tiers. Um, the lowest one was 10-1. However, 99.75, just, you know, nearly 100% of the locations should get speeds of 25.3 or above. And even over half of them should get 100 or above. So and only a tiny, tiny fraction are looking at speeds of less than the current definition of broadband by the FCC for fixed service. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, 0.25%. And exactly. And and one other thing to note is that if you took the um, those reserve prices of the areas that won and added a, added them up, um, that w- would be about $5 billion. So that's what it would have cost to kind of serve them under the model. But now 
you know, they'll be they'll get service for one point five billion dollars. So that's a that's a great savings to the ratepayers. Yeah, that's a more a, efficient way of serving. That's a huge difference. I mean, if you think about you know, starting out with saying, okay, it would cost $6 billion to serve all these people under the FCC's old estimates. It just shows the power of auctions and the power of opening things up to other providers. I mean, and you didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but it turns out that $1.5 billion instead of $5 billion, that's a major difference. Yeah, I think so. And then, and then having a large number of locations be able to get um, high-quality service. Were there, any, were there any states that stood out or areas where, you know, it was surprising or maybe not surprising that they uh, they were kind of outliers because of their the makeup of the state? Or was it fairly evenly distributed throughout the country? Yeah, we really did not know what to expect in terms of where there would be a lot of activity and all of the all of the detailed information um, is available online about like you know which areas of the country got the most activity and the most bids. Um, I think a lot of areas in the middle of the country, um, Oklahoma, Missouri, I think kind of stand out. My memory is areas that had a lot of bidders, a lot of competition. Um, You know, you don't always know why things occur (laughs) or, you know, know what to expect. Um, And that's kind of that's kind of the interesting and exciting thing, I think, about auctions. Yeah, and there's uh, so. every state has its own challenges with deployment, whether it's terrain or density or whatever. And uh, the FCC actually has an interactive map, so we will make sure to link to that in the show notes. And uh, you can check out how your state did in the auction. But yes. uh, then there's the next step of actually building the infrastructure because, yes, we completed the auction, but everyone doesn't magically have service immediately. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes into getting these networks up and running. So... Uh, what happens from here? Right. So as you say, there is a lot of work, and most of that is going to be done um, by the providers and and getting that infrastructure built out. I think our role is to make sure that that happens. There are some specific build-out requirements. So 40% of the locations that are one have to be built out to within three years, and then an additional 20% in each subsequent year and then reaching 100% of the the locations won within six years. And um, the winning bidders have to submit detailed location information on all of the locations that they serve to USAC, the Universal Service Administrative Company. There are also some um, requirements that the winning bidders have to do testing of their networks to show that they're actually providing the speed and latency that they are required to provide that's sort of associated with their winning bid. Um, And then one last thing is they're um, required to offer prices that are reasonably comparable to similar service in urban areas. Right. And that doesn't just apply to this auction and this program. That's across the board in the $10 billion fund, whether it's a school or a hospital or whatever, the entire point of the program is to make sure that the price paid by the ratepayer is similar to what someone in an urban area would pay. Right. And so I think the idea being that in urban areas, you have competition to bring the prices down in these rural and remote areas where we're, you know, offering support for service to get there. It's, you know, often for the only provider and you want to make sure that they're not going to charge monopoly rates. Exactly. Now, you know, looking at this and talking to you, you know, it sounds like this was very successful. Um, and uh, both in terms of 
you know, the speeds that are going to be uh, rolled out here and also the savings for, for taxpayers. You know, this is obviously a lot of money that's spent every year to connect the country and want to make sure we're responsible stewards of that money. Um, you know, do you think this there's a lesson here about other things the FCC can do? Or do you expect to see more reverse auctions going forward in the future? I think so. I think that this has shown that the um, auctions can be a viol- viable approach um, for uh, distributing universal service support. They can be used to kind of distribute money, give money out, and not just um, not just raise money. And there, there are uh, more universal service um, auctions on the horizon. The commission's working on one for getting mobile service to areas that lack mobile broadband and voice coverage called Mobility Fund Phase 2. And then um, on the fixed side, on the horizon, we have the Remote Areas Fund, which would include the areas that were that were not sold in this CAF 2 auction. Another program called um, Connect America Fund Phase 3, which would be the areas where the, the, those price gap carriers that accepted model-based support that support uh, runs out at the end of 2020, and so then we'll have to, to you know, look at the best way to fund those areas going forward. All right. Well, uh, yeah, it may not sound like uh, we made the biggest dent in the world, but just remember, this is just one piece of the, p- the puzzle here, and the digital divide is a, is a big thing to tackle, but this is, you know, one aspect of it, and there are other programs and other agencies going on, and it's clearly the FCC's number one priority right now, and, uh, you know, it's great that you're working on it. So uh, thanks so much for uh, your efforts and your team's efforts, and congrats on a successful auction. And um, thanks for joining. My guest has been Chelsea Fallon, director of the FCC's Rural Broadband Auctions Task Force. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Find this podcast in Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review because it will help others find the show. Um, For more information about this auction, check the show notes for links. And uh, otherwise, that's it for today's episode. Catch you next time.